Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of The Terminal Mile. On this week's show, we're joined by a couple of very special guests. Alex Sear wrote an incredibly revealing look into the inner workings of his old cross-country team, the St. FX X-Men. It's called Runners of the Niche, and it highlights a complete cross-country season both on and off the course. It's a fantastic read, and I could not stop reading this book. Up first, though, the running pundit who's been with us since day one, Jeff Cawson, joins us to talk about the past 100 episodes and what to expect in athletics going forward in the time frame of the next 100 episodes. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Instagram and Twitter, a Tracky Radio production. Jeff Costin is, well, he's many things. He's a national marathon medalist, the only person to ever order stir-fry in a Mexican restaurant. He's also a style and profile limousine riding, jet-flying, kiss-stealing, wheelin'-dealing son of a gun. And he's been our in-house run pundit, since day one. So we're going to start with something that I didn't include in the in the little outline that I sent to you, but uh, perhaps you can come up with an answer just off the off the top of your head on this. Four years ago, well, roughly four years ago, when you got a message from a stranger on Strava asking if you uh, wanted to be on a running podcast, did you ever foresee it, you know, going this far to maybe say a hundred episodes? I think there was a void for that, and I may not have seen it to the extent that it's materialized, but there was, as far as I know, no type of podcast that was doing this for Canadian running, and podcasting was growing at the time. It's certainly bigger now than it was four years ago, but I give you a lot of credit for <laughs> figuring that out uh, before I did. So I wasn't, I wasn't overly... Uh, shocked by it or anything because there are lots of lots of podcasts on the go and I like listening to them but um, I I didn't necessarily know that I'm not surprised by the timeline but surprised by the buy-in you've had with almost everyone who's anyone in Canadian running taking part over the past few years I mean like who would have who have been able to foresee that we would have become you know Canada's fifth favorite running podcast out there I mean that that to me is yeah. almost almost inconceivable, you know. What are, what are the top four? Um, that's probably a joke, but uh, I don't know. I, I was doing some iTunes research the other day, and I, I I'm actually kind of pretty far down there, to be honest with you. Like I feel like the people who listen to the show are pretty, like they're pretty into running. And uh, I I feel like that's a really good audience, to be honest with you. I'd like to say that the audience isn't huge, but I I think that they're a fairly intense bunch of people. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And there's definitely a gap where um, running can be an endurance sport or endurance activity can be monetized in a way that appeals to a broader number. But, uh, you know, having a really focused and sustained interest in doing things at the highest level and in following people who are doing at the highest level is unfortunately a lot more niche, but it's good that uh, somebody like you is talking about it and bringing on great guests that can talk about it as well. Well, I'm uh, just going to pop my shoulder back in place after patting myself on the back there uh, for a (laughs) few minutes, but uh, we should, we should talk about, um, you know, just what has happened since this started in um, late November, early December 2014, because, you know, quite a bit has happened in our sport. Uh, For you, I mean, like, what would you say the biggest single event in distance running in Canada 
what do you think that was between then and now? If we're saying between then and now, I, th- I think you'd be hard pressed to find a bigger event than the one that just happened in Berlin. Um, if you want something, but you know, we could do we could do a whole podcast episode just talking about that. If you want something, I guess that reflects the time period more. Uh, that was more of a page turner. I think of uh, I think of the 2017 World Championship 5K because it was sort of the end of an era where. Uh, Mo Farah had just been virtually unbeatable at every championship stage, no matter who was hot on a given year. You know, he had double gold in 2012 and 2016 in the Olympics, and then both worlds uh, between them. Um, so it seemed like he was unbeatable. And then you started having, you know, the ProPublica investigation, Galen started move, to move up in distance. So it sort of felt like that era was moving on. And he was, he was one race short of having that perfect street on the streak on the track and then you know he lost the 5k or came second in the 5k um and that very i think of that as the end of sort of those guys dominance on the track so that's sort of where my head goes when you ask me that well i mean to expand on that you know there was for the first time in in a very long time there's there's two canadians in, in that final as well too uh, in Mohamed and and in Justin Knight, you know, focusing on Justin Knight for just a second, do you think that that event was almost a bit of foreshadowing for what is to what is to come, you know, in in future iterations of of global championships? Uh, sure. It, with respect to Justin, I think I, I he definitely looked like he belonged in there, and he's a guy that's improved every single year very consistently has lived up to expectations for himself and then exceeded them um, now has an NCAA title on his name under his name won a team title an individual cross an indoor title so um, there's lots ahead of him now especially that he's the face of Reebok running and has a good um, good setup with this club formed around him and Chris Fox continuing to coach him I remember when uh, when he first went to Syracuse, people were sort of skeptical that it might be a second-tier athletic uh, athletic school, but they obviously figured out an environment that worked for him, and it's, I, I have every confidence that the same will be the case with Reebok. I mean, taking a look at, at Canadian athletics for the past four years, there's been quite a few people who have emerged as you know these these big stars of the sport, and uh, you've seen it seen them the focus of athletics canada marketing but i mean you also see them all all over instagram and twitter there's never been better access to to the stars than right now who would you perhaps put as as kind of that that number one you know face of the organization to emerge over the last four years you have a different question if you're talking about marketing and personality and everything but i think it's hard to say that there's a better face to Canadian distance running than Mohamed Ahmed, who's also been a guy that steadily produced over these four years. Um, and so he had that breakthrough in 2016 where he was uh, fourth in the Olympic 5,000. And now he's a Canadian record holder in both the 10 and the 5K, still 26, 27. So a lot of growth potential um, and already a legitimate world beater. So I think I think there's reason to think that uh, when he retires, he'll probably by the time he retires, he'll be sub 27 and sub 13, which puts him in pretty unique um, 
unique company and he's doing it with uh with that Schumacher group in Portland and there's a lot of, uh, a lot exciting about his progression. I mean, so, some of the things that really stand out to me also are the are just the, the volatile fields, especially I would say on the women's side of the, of the sport, where you know you can go from take a look at the fifteen hundred. We we had some you know a couple of very lean years in there, but we also had some really really great years with incredible depth. What would you say that the the field with the biggest amount of change in the last four years um, was? I think the men's and uh, marathon and women's marathon in women's um, have changed and are changing in that uh, I think especially on the men's side, the face of it, the faces of it being, you know, Wikes, Watson, Coolsat, Gillis, to different extents, they're all involved um, in all doing so well, but um, um, especially with Coolsat and Gillis there. But I, I think it's safe, you know, they're not young guys and it's fair to say, that there aren't necessarily um, any immediate successors to the level of success that they've consistently churned out. So there's a bit of a void there. There are big shoes to fill. Um, and my, but, but at the same time, I would say nobody necessarily, when those guys were 21, 22 years old, would have predicted that they have the careers that they have being you know, two, three-time Olympians. Um, so there's a void there, and I think that's, especially with the popularity of the marathon will be the most interesting change seeing um, what happens without them and who can step into the, uh, those fields. But, um, you know, these things go in cycles and there will be somebody to do it, but it's, it's not going to happen overnight necessarily. You know, you, you speak of the, of the women's marathon, um, you know, just, just off the cuff, when do you think do you think that that masters women's record is is going to be falling you know within the decade i mean man i have to say that that 230 is just such a strong strong effort by by lindsay tessier yeah um i mean she would be the only person i could see taking it down um but who knows it's uh it's kind of um it's a, it's a matter of being able to stick with something for years and stay relatively healthy and not have life get in the way to a point where um, you're unable to compete at that level that it just whittles down the number of people that can do it to such a small number. So I, you know, I wouldn't be expecting it to happen overnight, but you never know. You know, I have to wonder because um, she is coached by Steve Boyd. Uh, also, another guest who's been on before uh, is Colin Fewer, and Colin Fewer came within 30 seconds of the of the Canadian Masters half marathon record uh, earlier this year. He was so so close. Another person who's been coached by by Steve Boyd um, is yourself. Now, would you say that you're poised to be, you know, the next big uh, Steve Boyd breakthrough? <laughs> I, I wouldn't put myself in that category at all. Um... But, um, you know, just, just trying to pull things together for a fall, uh, fall marathon this year, um, hopefully doing Philadelphia in November, but it's, uh, it's much more of a steady churn. And then hopefully I can stick with, with it long enough to, um, to take some master's scalps when I, when I get to that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, we already kind of touched on this uh, at the beginning. However, um, I've noticed with this show that the that the numbers have gone steadily up year to year. 
uh, with this past year being incredibly good. But I think that probably has to do with uh, with adding that that Guelph podcast on as well too. Um, just from from your perspective, what do you think the overall interest has has been in our sport? Um, you know, on a national or international level, and how has it evolved over the last four years? Yeah, I th- I think endurance activity is increasingly um, popular as something that people do in organized ways. So in that sense, there's more participation and interest in marathons. And that's a good thing. And um, to the extent that you can measure the effect, I mean, people are performing better at marathons as well. But there's less, you know, there's less, or it seems like there's less or just a small number, I guess, consistently maybe of people taking a deeper dive into the sport, really immersing themselves to you know, be as strong as they can be over months, years. And that, I don't know, like my, I'm sure um, baby boomers would say that's a generational thing that we don't necessarily have the sustained focus that it takes to do what you need to do um, to really set long-term targets and then execute them. So that's concerning. I, I think overall participation's um, pulling us in the right direction, but there's no um, <laughs> there's no guarantee that it always translates to higher participation at elite or sub-elite levels. So no no show with you would be complete without bold predictions for the next four years. So, um, you know, I, I've given you some time to think about this. What are, what are, what are the big, bold predictions that we can, we can take to Vegas? Well, I think if, if we talk about the interest in uh, endurance sports, the other interesting... Um, thing is these sort of novelty events with, you know, tough mutters or whatever. So I think, I think, and the beer mile was one where you actually have really good runners doing it. And it's progressed to the point where, you know, you pretty much need to be a four minute miler or close to it to do it at the elite level. So I think we'll see an ex, I, I think we'll see that world record go down as well. Um, and we'll see other types of events like that pop up. Um, I don't know if we'll have any world records in, in men's distance running. I thought the one that was touchable was probably the marathon. And then we had that outlier performance from Kipchoge. And I, I don't know if anyone's touching that, you know, in the next decade or even at all, it's hard to, um, hard to imagine that happening. I, I saw Let's Run compared it to like Wilt Chamberlain's 100 point game. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't know how much further the bar will be moved. Um, I think in 2022, we'll elect a mayor in Toronto who campaigns against marathons on the road. Um, I think Rob Ford went, got close with that, and we're sort of. That seems to be the direction that a lot of the angry folks um, are moving, and I think we'll actually see that realized. I don't think it will come into fruition, but um, we might see something ugly like that. Um, I think that's a pretty good three. Oh, for sure, for sure. And this is assuming that the premier doesn't get to it first, but uh, hey, sure. we're, uh, we're not a political show, right? <laughs> well, we can we can use the notwithstanding clause on road races. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, we're in the middle of uh, of cross country season right now, and uh, you know, I know with marathon training, you don't have a ton of time to uh, to look at that sort of stuff. Um, what's uh, what's kind of the the brief overview? What what do you think as far as you know, maybe collegiate or on the senior scene? Sorry, collegiate or the senior scene? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think collegiate. Um, I think I think on the men's side. Uh, Sergio Reyes Villanueva would be a guy to beat um, just in that he beat, he won the 10K on the track this year, sort of steadily progressed every year and I, I think is arguably the class of the field. Um, seniors, it's, al- it's always a matter of who actually shows up at that time because you have people with their collegiate seasons and um, and, and marathon builds, so it's it's tough two months out to say who the top contenders are, but it's the last year on the fort, so I'm sure there will be a strong field, and I'm sure it'll be a grossly messy day in great conditions for cross-country. Something we can always count on in Kingston. Another thing we can always count on is excellent opinions from our in-house run pundit, been with us since <laughs> day one, or maybe day two or day three, Anyways, he was there at the beginning. He is Jeff Cawson. He, uh, well, you heard his introduction right off the top. He is the heir apparent to Ric Flair. Um, and he's an all-around pretty good guy. Thanks a lot for being on the show this week, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks for everything. Running and storytelling are two things that seem fully intertwined. Modern-day myths of great feats are passed on through teammates or handed down from coach to athletes. It's fair to say that while some of these stories are truly great, there is very little formal record keeping in our sport, so unfortunately we lose a lot of these tales to the fogs of time. Alex Sear recently released a book called Runners of the Niche, and it's a full capture of some of that great storytelling that I'm referring to. It's all set in Anaganish, Nova Scotia, featuring the St. FX cross-country team. We caught up with him earlier this week to talk about the book. So one of the things that I really got from your book, um, one of the overarching themes, I guess you could say, is that that constant battle uh, within a cross-country runner, the whole self uh, versus team sort of thing. And, and it's a theme that, that develops throughout the entire book. And uh, you see building and, and maybe some, I don't know, progressions of, of thoughts on, on that sort of thing. Tell me what... Describe your describe your own you know evolution on your thoughts on, on that whole theme as you're writing the book and and as you're living that season. Well, um, I guess for me, uh, it, it was kind of writing from a unique, uh, I guess, a vantage point because you know I wanted to write a good story, I wanted it to be interesting, but at the same time, you know, I was super invested in one the team's doing and two my own doing, um, which I guess is kind of common for a cross-country runner, I think running essentially is at first an individual sport. You can run by yourself. You don't need anyone to, to go out for a run with. You can you can do it on your own. Um, but, you know, when when people get together, when the CIS or the U Sports roll, uh, rolls around, it, it becomes a team thing, right? So um, I, I guess for us, because there were so many competitive guys in the conference, it became almost a conflict of interest, you know, in that do you want to peak for the conference championship without, you know, telling anyone and kind of having your own little secret training plan? Um, 
or are you really going to you know do it for the team and try to peak at U Sports and maybe sacrificing that individual glory? And I think that's something that comes with maturity. But I can definitely say that all of us, um, while we did value our, our individual goals, um, I think the the goal to do well as a team came first. You know, the, there's all these stories about uh, workouts where you guys were just battling each other, and that kind of speaks more to the individual glory sort of thing. In the meantime, though, you had, you know, these these kind of wise characters, um, your coach being one, uh, Steven, who is, is kind of a minor character, he pops in and out, you know, really enforcing that, you know, the big goal here is the team victory. You, you got to pull together. You got to pull for your team. I, I have to wonder, while you were writing all this, was there some sort of, you know, almost self-awareness or whatever? Like, okay, well, this is, this is coming from these from these really smart people that, that I trust, but I still want to win. You know, was, was there that self-awareness involved? A bit, and I think uh, more so because a lot of the writing happened after the season was finished, right? So when you're in the season and things are happening and you're writing as you go, you're really invested in what's going on. And um, it may be difficult to, to notice, you know, where those wise comments lie and which one, which comments to, to, to take seriously and take to heart. Um, but, you know, when you're a few months removed and, you know, some, for some chapters, almost a year removed, it's almost easier to write there, like um, hindsight 2020, really. Um, but, yeah, had I, had I written all of it during the season, which I thought I would do <laughs> naively, um, but <clears throat> that wasn't the case. Um, it may have been harder to remove myself from the action. You know, I was trying to pull, you know, see if there's any lessons or, or anything that, that I could take forward from, from reading this. But one thing that, that I guess I really noticed, and it was almost on different levels, is you writing about your team just kind of reinforced to me that running is chaos. Uh, you know, whether it be the the second last chapter, which I'm, I'm not going to ruin for anyone who hasn't read it, which is just, <laughs> you know, this pure chaos. But like, even at the beginning, you know, you have guys in that top group who have, uh, I would say, almost more more talent than, you know, willing to to work hard. And then you have guys like like Warren, who, you know, is, is just a pure workhorse, no talent. Um, you know, like it doesn't matter what these people are putting in, what they get is what they get out of it. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's this whole pure chaos, uh, thing going on with running it. I don't know. Is that something that, that crossed your mind while you're writing? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and more so as I get older, um, I think, you know, you mentioned Warren and you mentioned some other guys with more talent or, or whatever. And I can say that <laughs> I'll be the first one to say, but Warren will be the first one to admit that he didn't have the talent that, uh, yeah, he had the, the hardworking talent for sure. And he, he'll take that one and, um, he'll, um, he'll attest to that. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, everyone is kind of given a different set of skills and by skills, um, I mean, a lot, you know, there's the physiological skills, there's the ability to not get injured, the ability to stay consistent. Um, so I guess in that chaos, the, the thing I'm learning now uh, is the best thing to do is to not compare yourself or your career, your trajectory to others' trajectory, because, you know, everyone has it differently. And even yourself from year to year, you know, you can put in the exact same amount of work from one year to the next and get totally different results. And, um, 
a lot of people use the cliche, you know, running is uh, you get out of it what you put into it. And I kind of don't really buy into that. A lot of people work very hard. And at the end, usually those who succeed are the ones who are more talented and those who stay healthy. Um, and, you know, if you're lucky to be both, you'll probably have a pretty lengthy and successful running career. You know, I just, I love the the characters and, and what they each brought to the story. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure I just mentioned it, but uh, but Warren was a character that, you know, I really gravitated to. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the traits that he bought, but brought, but, you know, I couldn't help but see myself uh, as, as a bit of a cow sometimes, you know, someone who is a bit of a hothead, someone who wants to go on their own. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think we could find a little bit of each character uh, in ourselves. I have to know, you know, is there any embellishment there? And, um, you know, when you're writing this, did you kind of think, uh, you know what, this character I think is, is going to be really popular or, you know, maybe this character won't come across quite as well with words. You really have to meet this person. Um, well, there's a bit of embellishment. I'll be, I'll be honest, full disclosure, right? Like um, you do really want to highlight the characters of each, of each person um, because they're so unique. Um, but there wasn't as much embellishment as I thought there may end up being, you know, as I started writing and just, you know, writing down the stories of, of our workouts, our races, things in between, um, I realized, wow, you know, I don't really have to add much to these guys because they are characters in themselves. Like, you know, Warren is someone that not only, um, in the book people will gravitate towards, but someone in real life people will gravitate towards. Um, and you know, Cal was, was a guy who, was super determined in his own way. Everyone kind of had their, their thing, you know, I can go on and on. And, and the funny part is, you know, most of these guys are my best friends as well. So, um, while I was, you know, you know, writing their characters down, I also had to keep in mind, you know, I got to be respectful to to these people, you know, at the end of the day, it's those relationships with them that matter most. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was a weird fine line to, to, you know, tiptoe because the book is nonfiction. So, I had to remain as truthful as, as, as possible. You know, with a, a lot of writing, there's, you know, a storyboard, there's an outline going into this. Um, you know, you mentioned that, that it took you, you know, months and, and uh, you know, years uh, to write this thing. However, when you started it, you had no idea how it was going to finish. That, that had to be, throw you for a bit of a loop, no? Oh, yeah. Um, and I, and I write it in, I think, my, my uh, prologue. Um, I really didn't know where it was going when I started. Really, the way it started was, you know, my coach, Bernie Chisholm, asked me if I wanted to uh, just write up a few blogs about the races and, and the workouts and just, you know, to have some kind of keepsake at the end of the season. And um, I really didn't think that it would get to that point. So when the CIS or the... I guess, yeah, it was U-Sports already at the time when the, the last U-Sports race happened uh, and, and, you know, ended the way it did. Uh, you know, I kind of had to build the story up towards that. And I guess at the end, it was just I, I made my I gave myself a goal to be honest um, throughout the story. And what would happen would be what would happen now. Um, winning the championship would have made it amazing. Uh, whether we did or not, I'm not going to reveal. So you can either read the book or uh, check Tracky. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but you know, just just reading this over the past couple of days, it, that last chapter just felt like a real 
I don't know. It just felt like a real gut punch. Like I felt what you guys were feeling on the course. And, you know, I had to think, I had to try and put myself in, in your shoes. You know, did you have to make that decision to end the book that you, the way, the way that you did? Or, you know, was there that temptation to maybe try and put a bit more of a positive spin on it? I mean, what was going through your head when, when you're, you know, drafting up that, uh, that ending? Well, again, it was, you know, I had to write it the way that it was, um, despite the, the happening, um, there were some positives to, to extract from the season as a whole. Um, actually in, and the more removed I, I get from the season, I realized that there's so many more positives that come to mind even more than what I wrote. Um, so, you know, the result, there was no, there was no changing, um, and the reflection of it, um, it took me a while to write. I think that's what took me the longest. Um, I finished writing in March of 2018, and I was still working on those last chapters. Um, so I'm happy that I took the time, you know, a year, a, a, almost 14, 15 months removed from that cross-country season to really try to appreciate um, what that season was about and what that season brought us because, you know, it's it's like um you know bernie bernie mentioned this and he had a little um a little note that he carried around and and i'm obviously paraphrasing here but it 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 uh, went something like this you know the the value of a season is not defined by one uh, particular event but it's you know the time spent with the people the the day-to-day happenings of it um so i'm happy that i took the time because um had we defined our season with you know that one race uh, we may not have all these great memories I mean, one big turning point for me was, you know, in in the later chapters in that in that final workout when when everyone's kind of pulling together as as a team, like th- that, as a reader, that elicited a real emotional response for me. I have to think that you being there and and you living it, like it had to bring so much more out in you. You know, it was that the case as you, as you read through it, you know, three, four, five times editing it. Uh, maybe even even writing it at the time, you know, was was there points in that book where where you kind of, you know, you had to stop for a second and, and think about it and, and reflect on it. Totally, like there are um, looking back when I, because you know each chapter I read quite a bit after writing it at first, and it would always bring me back. And what I realized from that chapter, because you know, if for those who haven't read the book yet, it's it's one of her last workouts before the U Sports Championship and um, things are going well. And it, it kind of brought me back and, you know, made me realize that, you know, those workouts, those those final workouts or the workouts that are one week out, those key workouts before the big race, you kind of have no choice. You kind of just have to make yourself believe that everything's going well. And, you know, I think that workout, everyone showed up thinking, you know, we're banged up, we're hurt, we're tired, it's a long season, but it doesn't matter today, we need to show up. And I think that was, you know, when I read that chapter, it brings me back to not really that gain in fitness or were, were we much fitter on that day than we were weeks ago? Not really, but the mindset was we need to get this done and we need to get this done well. I think that's that's what sticks out to me when I read that one again. You know, there again, there's this point at the end of the book where, where you can really tell that, you know, it's it's you and those guys, you know, you guys are willing to, you know, go into battle for each other uh, at that point. And it's it's just this really great moment. I have to know, are, are you keeping in touch with them now? You know, do you still have that, that connection with those guys? Oh, yeah. There was something special there at uh, St. Effects and I'll, you know, 
that I'll always believe it. Um, we have a group message. So 18 greening was, uh, our house. Um, and, um, there were six of us living there, but over the years, I think there were nine different guys living in that house. And anyway, we have a group message. We we're pretty much talk in it every day uh, as a testament to, you know, how tight greening was. If you go look at Angus Rawlings, Instagram picture of him run, winning this uh, U sports championship this year in three K, I think he has one hashtag on it and says long live 18 greening. And I said, if ever I win a championship, that's what's going up there. And I'm sure it's the same for all the other guys. But that extends, you know, beyond 18 greening as well. We had, it was, it was a synergistic group, you know, the guys and the girls. And, you know, um, I said this a few times, a few people asked, like, you know, you don't talk about the girls. I'm like, that makes a whole lot of characters. It's, it's really difficult to, um, you know, try to profile two teams. I feel like I couldn't have done it justice, but in reality, it, it was one big team. The guys and the girls, it's about 30 of us, and uh, we all get in touch. This summer, um, well, our coach, Bernie Chisholm, recently retired at X, and uh, so many of us went back. I think there's a there's a photo, and, and again, there's just from our generation, there's about 30 or 40 back. So, no, um, we do keep in touch quite well. You know, I'm glad you mentioned uh Angus, he he's been on the show before. He uh, you know, he he won that title in the indoor three K last year as well too. So it, it was it was a bit hard to um, you know, connect those two guys, you know, the character to the Angus I know, just because he, he seemed to be, you know, struggling and, and trying to put things together. Um you know, as you were writing this, you know, months months and months later, did you kind of look at it and, and almost laugh a little bit knowing what he would become after that that cross country season? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the book doesn't do do him justice anymore. A few times when I'd be uh, writing the epilogues, at one point in the epilogue, I'm I'm kind of like just profiling each person and t- and like talking about what they've done in the last year. And I think I had to like go back and edit Angus's like three times because <laughs> his resume was just getting better and better. And I missed his, you know, obviously I missed his his U Sports win and that. So. No, uh, it's funny to read back, but not just with Angus, but with all the guys, because, you know, over years, like things happen, people change. Like, for example, uh, Warren Ferguson and Cal DeWolf are in law school now. Like a lot of the guys are doing, um, you know, professional programs, some sort. Uh, Alex Neifer is in teaching college uh, at St. Effects still. Like, you know, a lot happens. Nathan Jessen, chiropractic college. Anyway, I could go on. Um, you know, every, everyone's doing something different. So, um, for Angus, as much as for the other guys, it's kind of a good a good stamp in time now. You know, I, I know you as a as a real student of the of the sport and and someone who really tries to you know keep in touch with with what's happened uh, throughout the years. And I'm sure that you've noticed it as well as I have that um, running history up to this point has been a real oral sort of thing. You know, it's it's passed on you know by word of mouth uh, from from person to person, and I think that has made it very hard to, you know, get a real grip on, on what's happened in our sport in in the past, but, you know, things like your book and there's, you know, podcasts and and there's magazines and that sort of stuff out now, you know, is leaving this, this permanent imprint on our sport. Do you think that, that, you know, the, the magazines will, will last and the books will last and, and, or do you think that we'll continue on with this kind of oral tradition and, and storytelling tradition, uh, of the sport? I think, um, I think they complement each other really. Um, 
for example, the book um, has, you know, triggered so many conversations. I mean, it, it's quite new, of course, but ever since it's it's out, you know, so many people have asked me about it and, you know, want a copy or want to talk to me about it. And, and it's awesome because, you know, in my head, if it, if it can, you know, make our sport a little bit more popular, however little that, that impact may be, I think it's worth it. And I really hope, you know, that um, the storytelling continues. Like, running is... is kind of a timeless sport. It's funny to think, you know, the other huge um, traditional sports, for example, hockey, like hockey wasn't really around like 150 years ago. Um, I'd I'd have to check my stats for that, but approximately, right? You don't know how long things will actually be around and as high profile in the community, but I think running is going to stick around as long as, because it's so so simple. And as long as running sticks around, I hope the running stories stick around, but it's important as you know, who, who are, who are broadcasting it, people who are triggering interest for it, because of course it's always a challenge to compete with other mass sports markets. And I really, really hope, um, that it's only up from here. There's a, an excellent, uh, forward in your book by, by Eric Gillis. Uh, of course, you know, the three-time Olympian came, came 10th in the, in the last Olympics, uh, marathon. It's just and former X-Men as well, too. Um, you know, how did that come about? And, and was, has, has Eric given you his, his feedback on the book? Uh, what, what does he think? You know, uh, Eric was one of the first ones to see it and to read it. Um, though I'm not sure if you read it. I think he, he listened to it. Um, he, I, I sent it to him at a super busy time. He was starting to coach. Uh, he was having his third child. Um, so he was super busy. And the only times that you know, he really could take any material in was on run. So I think he downloaded it on iTunes and, uh, was listening to it. Hmm. And, um, what he told me, he liked it. He liked it enough to, to provide a forward. And I'm so happy he did. So, um, Eric was, was, and it still is, you know, super instrumental in, in the whole project. Um, and while I'm at it, you know, I've, I've had a lot of help from the St. effects community and, you know, from Danny Gillis, who was an author helping me out with the editing, um, to, you know, people like Eric to, to spread the word and, um, you know, making sure some books go to certain places and stuff. And, uh, even the, the book signing I had in Anaganish, Eric really helped organize that. So from, you know, reading it at first to providing the forward to helping out, you know, he's been, he's been great. I'm really happy that I have him in my corner. I have to know because, um, you kind of alluded to it, but, you know, Bernie was the, the real driving force be, behind this entire project. What did he think? You know, has he, has, has he illuminated just what his thoughts on the story are? Yeah, well, actually, I, I don't know why I excluded Bernie from that last answer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, Bernie was, Bernie was huge. He's the, one, he's the one who put the idea in my head. And uh, at that book signing, I, well, I... I went to Anaganish for a few days beforehand and, and went over to his house, caught up with him. It was really nice. And um, that was a Friday. And Sunday morning was the book signing. And he came and he said, uh, yeah, I finished your book. I said, geez, he's, you know, Bernie was a teacher and he's a fast reader and reads a whole lot of running books. So I wasn't too surprised that he finished that fast. But he told me that he really liked it. He, um, he, he liked the way I described the characters. And obviously he knows the characters really well. So for that reason, I took it as a compliment. And also for the reason that had Bernie not liked it, I'm sure he would have told me. So I take that as a compliment too. And, you know, to, as, because the, the whole project started as, you know, kind of a gift uh, to Bernie. It was almost as a retirement gift. So the fact that he really liked it, that 
probably was the most um, probably was the most re- rewarding part of of the whole project. Well, I think we'd be pretty remiss without asking uh, where are you at with with your own running right now, and uh, you know what's what's your season looking like? Um, well, it's been it's been pretty rough. Um, I had a good uh, summer spring season. Um, got to lower my PBs in the 1500 and the 5K, which was really nice. Um, everything went really well with UAC in my first year in, at Windsor running outdoor track with uh, my coach Gary. Um, had a lot of good workouts with uh, Nick Falk, my training partners. You know, everything and, and like all the guys, we had a big group. Um, so everything was, was going really well. And then uh, in early July, I took my two weeks off and came back quite sore. Um, and I haven't really recovered since then. So it's patellar tendonitis and hamstring tendonitis that I'm dealing with right now. So I'm still not running, hoping to make a comeback, maybe for cross-country nationals, youth sports nationals. But uh, right now it's kind of looking for answers, to be honest. Runners of the Niche, A Season in the Sun, Rain, Hail, and Hell by Alex Sear is it's just this fantastic book, uh, completely highlighting a, a very special program and a year in their cross country season. I cannot recommend it enough for you know runners or even fans of collegiate sports. Um, tell us, Alex, where, where where can you pick it up and uh, and you know in what forms can can we find it? So the best way to get it and the easiest way would be through my website, which is runnersofthenish.com. So just the title. Dot com. I uh, will show you all the online outlets to get it. Um, also, I plan to uh, bring a shipment uh, to U Sports and Cross Country Nationals, so I'll be there, hopefully racing. Uh, but if not, I'll be hanging out with uh, with a bunch of books. So uh, contacting me, if, if you know me personally or not, doesn't really matter, um, also works. Like I said, it is a fantastic book. Uh, I read it in just, uh, just a few days, and uh, I, I could not put it down at all. Um, I'm, I'm hoping things go well for you, uh, with this and, and hopefully, you know, you, you write some more and, and we can, uh, look forward to that, man. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests, Alex and Jeff. Be sure to go visit runnersofthenish.com to pick up your copy of the book today. It's a fantastic read. I cannot stress that enough. Thanks to Tracky for their ongoing support, and big, big thanks to you for listening and following along as we've highlighted the goings-on of this crazy sport. This podcast has landed me a ton of amazing opportunities, and I hope that this has been as enjoyable for you as it has been for me. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram, at The Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and of course, tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile. A tracky radio production. <laughs>